Hello and welcome to the Honest Property Investment Podcast. My name is Natasha Collins and I am the host and I'm also the founder of NC Real Estate, which is my firm of surveyors where I bring landlords and property investors together to come and build commercial and mixed-use property portfolios that completely align with their goals. How are you guys doing this week? I think it's really important that we check in from time to time. I feel a lot of you who are saying to me, oh my gosh, I'm feeling not really that focused at the moment. And let me tell you, I am in the same boat. I am having 25 minutes on, 15 minutes off, 25 minutes on, 15 minutes off. It's got to that time of the year where I seem to be bottlenecked in a lot of things, but also have a lot of things going on. Um, I'm recording this at the end of July. I know this is going to go out. Oh my gosh, what day is this going out? What day is the Tuesday, Natasha? Tuesday the 3rd, this is going out. So I'm recording this on the 28th of July, a little bit early. Um, because I need to catch up with everything that we've got going on. And this week I have felt so exhausted. So I don't really talk about too much of what goes on in our personal life when it's not happening, because I know that Chris, my husband, is very private and it's not always relevant to property investment. When we have time off, we have time off. Um, But on Sunday, we were in a car accident a truck drove inside of the Tesla. Ah! My gosh, luckily no one was hurt. And the other party has admitted all responsibility, but not having a car has meant that I can't get to the gym and we can't walk the dog as far and the heat has been ridiculous. Um, So I'm hoping by the time this podcast comes out and it gets to next week, we have a higher car that our insurer will send us. And at that point, I can get back out. But I have found not having a gym is kind of getting to me. <laughs> so I thought I'd let you in on that. I am really glad that everybody was fine. We spent a lot of time in, a- in ER on Sunday afternoon after it happened just to get everything checked out and make sure that we were okay got given um some tablets to help with head headache and sickness and that kind of thing but luckily no other damage which I'm so pleased about if you've ever seen the size of the the cars on the road over here my gosh I mean it was a pretty big pickup truck that went into us but Teslas are made of a lot stronger stuff than we allowed ourselves to believe. So thank goodness everything is okay. So that's kind of helped with my uh, not being quite on my peak performance this week. But let me tell you what's happened in terms of property investment and just general stuff in terms of property that's going on. As a team, NC Real Estate have had a really, really successful week. We have been getting all of our asset management clients under offer on new properties, which has been phenomenal. And we've been negotiating discounts. And how have we been negotiating discounts? Well, to be honest with you, we just keep asking the question, asking the question, 
knocking money off of it, saying that we're prepared to pay this amount. We give due diligence when we uh, put in an offer and say, look, we're not prepared to pay any more than this. And here's the reasons why. And it seems to be working. Um, It takes a while for these properties to go under offer. So it's not as if day one, we offer something, the seller's agent comes back and says, yes, that doesn't happen. What seems to happen is it takes about a week to go under offer. Mm -hmm. It takes a long time of just backwards and forwards, confirming things, phone calls, chasing up, more due diligence from both sides, because obviously the seller has to decide if they can sell at that price as well. I'm not always saying that they have to give a discount on ask, but especially in the commercial property field, what when you have two surveyors dealing with each other, so I'm this I'm the surveyor dealing on behalf of my client, and then you have the surveyor who's dealing on behalf of the seller, right? We can have proper conversations and negotiate. Whereas if you're dealing with an agent and you are the buyer, I think it's harder because they expect you to be producing everything and they know that they're dealing with you. So there's a bit of heart in it as well as brain. Whereas when it's two surveyors negotiating, it's it's simply us just doing our best to get the best for our clients. So I understand where the opposition surveyor is coming from. They understand where I'm coming from. There is no hard feelings at all. And this is part of the service that we offer as asset management. We only offer asset management to members of the members club on a, um, if they need it basis, it's not offered to everybody and it's not forced down anybody's throat. Um, it's simply if they want the additional service, we're there to do that for them. Um, we don't have to offer on properties on properties for our clients either. It's if they want us to, if they want it to be part of the service, because even though we're not always buying things. We certainly now are in the practice of analyzing 10, 20, 30, 40 properties a day. I have uh, graduate surveyors in my team. I have surveyors who are fabulous at what they do. And we need to always know what's going on in the market, right? So we make it a practice in-house. Every single day, we have to look at new properties, see what's on the market, see if it it would fit my clients, if my clients wouldn't fit into it and it's not for them would it fit my portfolio and that's what we really look at and of course I have to avoid conflict of interest I think I've spoken about this at length on this podcast before I because I act as an asset manager and NC real estate is an asset management firm that's predominantly what we do I can't be taking these deals first if my clients mission statements um, align with these properties so we're always looking at what would our clients want where does this work could we get an offer accepted at X price? Let's give it a go. Then what we do is we discuss it with our clients, either WhatsApp, email, phone calls, however my clients want to deal with it. And from there, we agree what offer we're going in with. And I'm always honest about it. If I don't think we should be going up, I don't think we should be going up. If I think we should be paying for a certain survey, we should be paying for a certain survey. But it's been a lot of fun. We've got some great deals going through. Of course, it's confidential right the way through until exchange, in in which case I'll shout all about these things that we're buying. But (laughs) right now, um, we work so hard on getting these deals under offer that there is absolutely no way that I'm going to be sharing addresses yet. So watch this space. 
folks. I will tell you about it, but that's part of the service. So that's been great. Uh, one property we're down with £50,000 off ask, but I have a strong covenant tenant who's come, who I've found, right? I've been asking around the market. I'd be like, who of my contacts is getting tenants in properties at the moment? Who's acquiring? And I've had um, a couple of people come back and I've got one tenant who would love this building if my client does the works. And if my client does the works, they're going to pay a really good rent. In which case, this property will be worth 200K more than we buy it for. <gasps> so that's a really good deal. Really good deal, number one. Really good deal, number two is um, an owner-occupier is selling, but they've already let out half the space. And I reckon we've already got about, how much have I got off? 62 and a half thousand so far. I reckon after that is fully let, we could get, so we're at four, we're at five, eight, seven fifty. I reckon once fully let, it'll be worth seven, 750,000. Mm-hmm. So this is the kind of thing that we do over here and we keep doing it. We find the things for our clients that would suit them, suit their investment type. Not every investor is the same and we make it happen. But as an asset manager, my job is not just to be buying people property. I'm not a sourcer. Um, my job is to see things through from acquisition right the way through to disposal. So my job is to be there at every step of the journey. That's where property management gets to asset management, right? I don't just do advising on the hold period. I do advising on the life cycle of the property. And that's what we do. That's what we do to a certain extent in the members club. We do that um, for our clients. And then on the one-to-one service, we actually really do get involved. It's, you know, we're there. We are there for what you need. You can ask us questions get involved. We find the properties for you or you find the properties, bring it to us. We do the deal analysis. We do due diligence up to a point, of course, where building surveyors have to take over or structural engineers. We don't do that. We outsource. Um, but there we have it. So that's what I do. That's what I've been working on. Uh, what else have I been doing this week? Oh, my property in Baltimore is moving along at snail's pace. Of course it is. Um, valuation is happening. 4th of August. So fingers crossed on that. If it comes back any lower than what I'm buying it for, I would be shocked. Absolutely shocked. Think I'd fall over. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking about this this morning. I, at the moment, I'm not worried, but then I do remind myself that sometimes I should be worried just in case. But I can't see with a five year lease in place that they would do that at vacant use value. I, w- I would be seriously questioning it if they did and we come back lower. You know, how? How, how, how? So anyway, that's happening next week. Um, my accountants have got all the details to set my new company up as VAT registered and get in place the transfer of going concern. That would take one of the longest things to do. So that's happening. Contracts and solicitors' hands, that's happening. Probably just need to start going out and finding new deals. Actually, that would probably Tasha Collins, get on your own advice. Yeah, so that's what I'm going to be doing next. Finding new deals, looking at investments, seeing how we can move forward. So that's been me really looking forward to the end of the year. Um I've got this house in Charleston that we're in let out from the beginning of 2022 at Airbnb. 
so we're going to have to think about moving soon. And that is something that we need to give a lot of thought to. Uh, I think I mentioned before we're going to go move to Austin so that Chris can be back near um, an office because he does need to go back into the office next year. We can't always be remote. So we were thinking of buying something in Austin as well. Then we've got Charleston, we've got Austin. Then we can think about if we want to buy something else as well. So that's the plan for the rest of the year. Anyway, lesson of the week is, for all of you listening, it's absolutely fine to be feeling exhausted at the moment. I'm with you. Find some ways in uh, outlets or something that you can do that takes your mind off the work the whole time. You do not always need to be sat in front of your computer, work, 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 working. I get it. It's a lot. Secondly, when negotiating, just have a go. Have a go. That's what we're doing. We're having fun with it. Really enjoying negotiating on properties at the moment. I would say that's the thing that I'm enjoying most about my job. Just give it a go. Offer. Give it a go. Offer. Give it a go. See what happens. Deal analysis all the way through so that you know where your maximum is. Those are this week's key takeaways, everybody. Right, I've got some really exciting things for you. Next up, I'm going to hand over to Sharon Griffiths, who's in my members club, and she's going to give you some tip of advice about how she's built her property portfolio. And then I am going to introduce you to a good friend and colleague of mine, Andy Dodson, who has had such an interesting property career from being in the army to going into academia to starting his PhD and all of that was being a property professional I think you're going to find it really really inspiring so without further ado let me hand you over to Sharon your call has been forwarded to an automatic voice message system at the tone please record your message when you have finished recording you may hang up or press one for more options Hello, my name is Sharon Griffiths. I'm a property investor. On this short video, I am going to share with you three key things. One is what types of properties do I invest in and why? Two, one of my top tips for property investors or those starting out. And three, a typical day for me. So, number one, the type of properties that I invest in are single let properties. Buy to let, set and let properties. My husband and I have a strap line, which is creating affordable houses that our tenants feel at home. And that is what we aim to do. As a result, our tenants stay for quite a long time. We've had our properties from 2017, 2018. And in most cases, the properties have had the same tenants in from when they actually moved in. Uh, so that is the type of property. The reason why we choose that type of property is because our, tenant, our target tenants tend to be single parents. So what that actually means is their kids go to nearby local schools, their families offer support systems, they tend to have jobs but also are on universal credit as well. So what that actually means is that they have all the support systems around there, the grandparents and the relatives are nearby, and the kids go and stay, well, normally, not in lockdown, the kids go and stay with the grandparents or the grandparents come and look after them. So that minimises the risk to our property. Uh, and they pay the rent, no problems in lockdown whatsoever. Uh, 
So that is the type of property we invest in. It is 200 miles away from where we live. We have a team on the ground so that if we have a challenge or there is a problem, we've immediately got somebody to contact. One of the properties is let out through an agent. The other five properties are let out. We manage those. Uh, and we also have one in Essex as well. Uh, a typical day for me, I don't have a typical day. Uh, my aim within two years was to have choice about my job, whether I stayed there or left. So through income through property, as well as through another couple of sources of income that funds my lifestyle. So what it means is that I can do what I love to do. A couple of things that I love to do are to write. Here's a couple of my books and uh, I've got three more co-authored books coming this year. Uh, I also like to help people, coach and mentor people, and I have a couple of clients. So through what I do, I can actually enjoy doing what I do and I can also help other people as well. So that is what property investing has given me. It's given me the freedom of choice to do what I choose to do and do what I love to do. So I invest in single let properties because basically it's a case of setting and letting the tenants are there permanently and they're almost hassle free. So that is the type of property we, we let out. Uh, I have no desire to do much else at the minute because the property investing funds our lifestyle and enables me to do what I love to do, which is to help people, mentor, coach people, train, teach people to do with property, but also in life skills as well. So I, I help people as much as I can. Because I don't have a job now, property investing with other few sources of income in a recurring way enables me to do what I love to do. Uh, top tips in property. Uh, I think my top tip overall is this. Start with the end in mind. If you know your end goals, you know your end goals. What that actually means is that you know where you're heading. The other thing is know your big why. So your big why, what you need is here. And it's where you are. What you desire is there. So if you can actually take lots of little steps and not losing that end goal in mind, it means you narrow the gap between where you are now and where you want to be. And that is what I've always done. It's a strategic approach to, to anything, knowing your end goal, knowing why you're doing what you're doing and taking the little steps to get you where you want to get. If I have a little saying, if you know your why, you can fly with your why. And when it's tough and you're down there and everything's crowding around you, what it means is that when you're facing real big challenges and you have to make decisions, if you think of your why, it will keep you strong potentially when you are weakest. So there you are, top tips. Know your big why. Know your end goal, but take little steps along the way so you can narrow the gap between where you are and where you want to be. And where you want to be when you get there actually might be somewhere else, but it doesn't matter because you can still have a moving goal, but take the little steps to where you want to go. So I hope that explains a little bit about my typical day, uh, the types of properties I'm investing and my top tips.
am so excited to bring my friend and previous colleague, but still we catch up regularly, Andy Dodson onto the podcast. Hi, Andy. Thanks for coming. Hi, Natasha. It's great to be here. It's uh, great to have another catch up like this. I know, right? Um, The reason I thought that you would be a fabulous guest for the podcast is because I want you to be able to share your career in the property industry to date because I get a lot of future surveyors people who are just going through university emailing me and saying Natasha I want to know about the different ways in which I can go through the property industry and I think you have had when I've spoken to you about it I think you have had one of the most unusual routes to where you are now yes I think that would be uh, pretty fair to say it's not it's not been a straight road that's a sure fact <laughs> and also for everybody listening i i think i've already teased andy about this before we start the podcast but he's a glutton for punishment and he loves getting involved with things so already with you talking you've just told me about all the things that you've got going on so i'm excited to share that with um with my audience so that you can see how diversified the industry is and you kind of get to pick your poison and pick your pathway through the industry so Andy tell me let's go back to the start how did you get into the industry uh so I come from uh, a family of Thatchers so uh post-world war one uh my great-granddad uh William returned uh from the army uh and there was quite a lot of people returning. Uh, and he, at the time, farm labourers kind of, they, they did a mix of things. But he decided he wanted to get into thatching. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, it kind of followed through to my granddad and then my uh, my dad. Uh, so some of my earliest memories, uh, I either I'm sitting in the car with my dad on Saturday, uh, going to... Uh, traipsing around East Anglia, going to look at uh, a bunch of different thatch screws or, or, or going to work with Dad, uh, locally going down to across the Norfolk Broads to pick up reed. Uh, and this kind of carried on. Uh, and then after school, uh, I then started my thatching apprenticeship. Uh, but I decided I wanted to see a little bit more of the world than East Anglia, as nice as it is, though. Uh, so I joined the Army. Uh, I joined the Royal Engineers uh, initially as a plant operator mechanic. So I spent the first eight years of my career uh, operating excavators, dozers, graders, uh, working on uh, general construction operative tasks as well. Uh, but then... I wanted to get more into the technical aspect of construction and have more of an impact on uh, on what we were doing. So, say for example, rather than just being the person on the shovel or on the levers, designing uh, schools, designing camps, designing infrastructure. So, I was then fortunate enough to get selected for uh, Clarkworks construction training, which. Despite the name, it isn't actually a clerk of works role, as we know in outside of uh, the, in the civilian construction industry. Uh, and that really kind of stepped my game up. Uh, so I then spent the next uh, eight years of my career uh, traipsing around the globe, uh, 
designing infrastructure, managing projects, cost management, a bit of building surveying, a uh, bit of uh, facilities as well. Uh, prior to leaving uh, the army in 2017, uh, I then had a bit of a brief stint working for, for InServe, I'm sure we'll come on to that uh, later. Uh, but then, yeah, I, I, uh, I entered education uh, and found it's just like, it's for me. <laughs> so yeah, I, here I am. Really good <laughs> yeah, at it. Loving what I do. So going back to the army, when you, what age were you when you? 17. 17. And how far into your career within the army did you go into the construction side of things? How did? Yeah, so, so the more managerial side of it. So I was, so as a team leader, kind of level, so a, a junior non-commissioned officer. Uh, so it's just a career option, which they, which is available. So you go off, you do a, a selection course uh, for your, your actually you demonstrate your experience which you've had previously on construction uh, within construction. So I could bring in what I'd done uh, working for my dad uh, and what I'd done previously uh, in Afghanistan and Kosovo uh, on different projects there, and you get assessed by by an independent panel, and you they give you the thumbs up or thumbs down. Okay, so when you were in Afghanistan, Kosovo, were you studying at the time or what was... Yes, so when I, so after my HND, I, I kind of had a year off-ish uh, uh, of studying. Uh, I did some charter management stuff on the side just to uh, just to keep myself going. Uh, but I, when I started my degree, uh, I was uh, in Afghanistan, so I did the first few months of my uh of my degree uh, in a forward operating base there and I finished up my degree uh, working in just off the equator in Kenya uh, so I was doing my dissertation uh, there so I was you know, doing like six days a week 12 to 15 hours a day and then hit the books but, but one of the best memories which I'll ever have was uh, we, we had a, a very rare weekend or was half a weekend off uh, like Saturday afternoon, Sunday, and we went to the Ole Petchy Game Reserve, uh, and we had these marvelous like tents on stilts, so on this elevated platform. So if any wildlife did get in, it was less likely to uh, tweet you. Uh, but writing up my dissertation at sunset, watching all the animals come into the watering hole was absolutely amazing. It's something which will stay with me forever because it was it was amazing it's so surreal like being on the set of the war at the lion king wow so when you went into the army did you know you were going to take that no no uh i think i was quite fortunate so i so i didn't i did okay at school but nothing fantastic and the the opportunity which the army presented me to initially with the qualifications which I got doing my trade and then going on and, and uh, doing a full-time HND uh, it was just it kind of opened things up and really did make me believe that yes I can achieve academically uh, whereas I think you know when you're a young teenage lad you don't necessarily have the self-discipline to, uh, to to stick with it uh, but yeah prove myself wrong 
What was your HND in? Uh, in construction. So, okay. yes, a normal kind of range of stuff. But because uh, most of the design falls within the, the clockworks disciplines, so we have construction, we do vertical construction, then we have mechanical engineers, electrical engineers, uh, and we have a civil engineering element as well. So we have to do a building design. So literally all the structural elements uh, within building regs plus uh, drainage uh, and other bits and pieces as well, plus some horizontal designs. So, uh, I'd probably say over-assessment was, was an understatement because we'd, uh, for the first year, we'd normally have a two-hour test every week plus a report each week. And then every 12 weeks or so, we'd have a four-hour exam. And it's 60% pass mark, not 40%. Uh, so, yeah. So, yes, it, it, was, it was a busy couple of years. And you were getting hands-on experience at the same time? Yes. So, certainly in the first year. So, we'd go off and we'd do like a theoretical elements. So, say, for example, we would spend uh, a week doing masonry. We would then, because we were in a large trade school down at Chatham, we would then go off uh, and spend a week with bricklayers. So we'd be like, right, here's some plans, okay, uh, off you go. And the good thing is, because we were quite a broad range of trades, so I was the only plant operator, but we had a plumber, a couple of surveyors, uh, uh, builder and structural finisher, carpenters. So we all kind of... In, because we've got, obviously got this range of experience, we've just kind of got on with it. So, yeah, we'd be knocking up buildings, uh, but if we went off with the carpenters, we'd be, yeah, we'd be making trusses, we would put it in, installing toilets, doing tiling, laying self-leveling screed, uh, and all the rest of it. But setting up concrete, I do love a bit of concrete, uh, so we'd be setting up formwork, bar bending ourselves, and all the rest of it. So it gives you a really good insight to obviously you've got your experience from your own trade to start off with but it gives you a great insight to the challenges which the different trades have to work their way through as well so when you're thinking about your designs you're not coming up with some harebrained scheme which is just not going to be feasible <laughs> how does that work into the army because most people if they're listening to this they think you go to the army, you train, and you go to war, right? No, definitely, no, de definitely not. I, there are quite. I said, in Kosovo, I, it was a NATO peacekeeping tour. So we would do a mix of uh, different work. So we do stuff for the military estate. Uh, so, uh, for example, working on different camps. Uh, I got to a really, really cool job. Uh, prepping some ground for a mineseeker airship and Richard Branson came out to, uh, to open that up. Uh, but I think some of the most rewarding things which I did were for the local community uh, because obviously they was not particularly nice time for them and being able to get involved and develop their own infrastructure. So laying roads, uh, pulling down on say structures like literally the first job which I did there uh and it really kind of brought it home to you because the I'm just down the road from the the, the camp I was just kind of burnt out 
uh, house which did obviously come through and they, they, they've got a couple of people buried in the back garden and stuff like that. It's really eye-opening for you as it was like 21 years old. Uh, but it's really been able to get involved and kind of, kind of help was really, really good. And same with when I was in Afghanistan the first time around working on this really large school project where you've got like six, 700 kids queuing up to get into school each day and they've, they've been deprived of education for so long. And they're like so happy, and it was really great to get involved um, so they can have a future because education is, provides a way out for everybody. So it's really, really great to be involved in things like that. So you do your degree in what's your degree? What, what's your undergrad degree in? Construction management. Construction management. You do that whilst you're in the army, and then what do you do? Uh, study-wise or... What did you move uh, into? Did you stay in the army for a little bit after you'd completed your degree or...? Uh, so, yes. So, uh, they break up the violins. Uh, so I had a, uh, a few health problems uh, whilst I... Uh, I was like, hip surgery, then got knocked off my bike and, uh, and stomach surgery. And then, so 2015, I was a bit of a, was a, bit of a mess. And then... Uh, I, uh, my, thankfully, I've got a really great medical officer and a physio, and they got me back to the UK to, uh, to do a rehab course. But uh, when I got back to the UK, I developed pneumonia and I got a really bad heart infection and uh, nearly died a couple of times. It was really oh. enjoyable. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I, was in, uh, I, I spent enough time in the cardiac high dependency unit. Uh, and then few more goes around with that uh and it was kind of it got to the point where I could have probably stayed in but the the, the roles which would have been available to me would have been very very limited uh and it just it would not have been fulfilling uh so I went to outside so of medical board uh and then yeah that was it blue factory out <laughs> but uh, yeah yeah off you go to that that's about as much use uh, I it, it was a very difficult time for me because I, I was off work for pretty, I think, 15 16 months mm. um, and you're stuck at home and there's nothing to do and you, you you're kind of idling away and you can't really not I thought I was in a position physically or mentally in a position to really go out and do much and overcoming that is quite difficult. Uh, and I, I found other things to do. So I got quite into uh, into archery. I uh, had a couple of trials for Olympics Games. Uh, but I think kind of what, when you are ill for a long time, you do lose a lot of self-confidence uh, and self-belief. Uh, and thankfully, when I was in Gibraltar uh, back in 2012, 2013, I, I Got some really good contacts there, uh, and I emailed the the general manager. Uh, shout out to Graham Josling, uh, thank you very much, Graham. Uh, and he put me in contact with a uh, uh, with a, with Insa, who literally they were running a PFI contract uh, a mile or less than a mile from my house. If I jumped the fence, it would have been uh, half a mile. Uh, and I got to do a placement there, and it kind of I think. Stepping back 
into like getting out to do work and having you know realizing that actually you, you whilst you aren't in a position where you can carry on your career in the army it doesn't mean you are glue factory full stop mm-hmm. so uh that that those three weeks were really really critical to giving me my self-confidence back and I've worked with a variety of different departments doing like hard FM and soft FM and that did lead to me uh getting a a fixed term contract with them they should have phoned got phoned up uh, straight after Christmas and we had an unexpected resignation would you uh do you want to come work for us uh, and then that offer did turn into uh, the position they did so like if you want it permanently you can have it but I'd already made commitments to uh, to move back down to uh, sunny Salisbury so mm-hmm. unfortunately I couldn't uh I couldn't take them up on it but yeah it's uh yeah it's really good Get, getting back into it was the, the main thing but uh yeah and when i was doing my recovery courses uh the course leader becky had said like you should really look at getting into teaching i'd done some uh, i used to teach first aid whilst i was in the army uh and i'd done i put together training packages as well for trades uh as well uh, and then uh I was very fortunate that uh, I, I, one Monday morning I was uh, checking my emails at a coffee break and I saw that I, I made a plan to come, committed to come back down south, uh, saw the job advert flash up. I was like, this is uh, this is for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, applied, got the, got the job. And yeah, that's kind of been, been me for the last uh, four years. Yes, and you're an excellent teacher. So once you jumped into teaching, so was UCM where you started with teaching? Yes. Yeah, like outside the, the army, yeah. Mm-hmm. And how did you find that in comparison to the army and everything that you... I mean, the, the good thing with... Well, that's not a good thing. I mean, obviously, the, the army is a very hierarchical structure. and you know, paper, scissors, rank, slide, mine's bigger than yours. Sit down, be quiet. Whereas you don't really have the option. You can't just go in there uh, and you, you have, it's, it is a different approach yeah. completely. Because I especially, because a lot of their, the training is very much vocational based. So they use uh, the, the premises, like a thing called EDIP, so explanation, demonstration, implementation, practice. So kind of, working my way away from that and when I was doing my PGC looking at the different pedagogical ideas uh, and and all the rest of it and trying to interlink the different theories it was I it was pretty interesting and then you, you like then all of a sudden you do have this like light bulb moment where everything kind of just clicks so yeah, and it just it, it all comes together. So, yeah, it's, it's a completely different crowd. So you you can't. And to be fair, even within a class, you you have one, you, you teach one uh, one cohort uh, or one element, and they can be completely different to another one. So you have to getting to know your students is really really key because if you don't if you don't understand and take this one you can't have a one-size-fits-all approach of education 
So some people need a bit more prompting and you can work out how you can do different, what you can, you know your group, you know what you can do with them and you know what you can, what you can, how you can react to get the best out of them. I agree. So. And so you went into teaching, so UCM, and whilst you're at UCM, you're doing your PGCE, right? Yeah. And you move up through the ranks at UCM? Yes. Yeah. So I took over as the Chartered Surveyor uh, Degree Apprenticeship uh, Programme Delivery Manager, uh, run a team of AOOs, so Apprenticeship Outcomes Officers. Over the 14 months I did that, we went, we, I think student numbers wise, I think we went up to just on from about 600-ish to nearly a 1,000, uh, and then doubled the team size uh, as well. So uh, every intake, we kind of get another couple more, another couple of members of staff, because at the time, the with the duration of the programme being five years, the outflow just wasn't there. I don't think it's going to be there until I probably imagine from March, April next year, when the, the numbers really started to ramp up in 2017. So they'll be finishing their degree and uh, then starting to look at doing their, their APC and getting through that. So making sure that so I think it's going to be a bit before outflow matches inflow, if you get my... Yeah. yeah. But at the, the, the same time, uh, whilst well, probably a few months before I uh, did that, I'd set up my own business doing uh, external verification for the CIOB, so for their professional review process. And that's been really, really enjoyable uh, because you get to see all the different candidates coming through uh, and, sit and being able to have a say in how uh, and being able to influence the, the CIOB and, and, and their professional review process and uh, and stuff going forward to changes being made. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, and also, it's, yeah, it, it has been quite enjoyable being involved in that as well. And uh, so, yeah, it's, it's kept me busy. I think I've, over the last three years, I've probably looked at between five and it's between five and six hundred candidates. Wow! And this year's gone up. Membership's gone crazy this year. It's really gone through the roof. I'm, uh, I'm not sure why, but it's really, really ramped up. So, all of the, so I'm one of a few external verifiers. Uh, so yeah, we've been quite, we have been quite busy, to put it mildly. And so you, mild. you do that, and then you've. Over the last couple of years, you've then moved on. Yes, so I'm now uh, I'm now at Solent University. Uh, so uh, initially, I joined there as a senior lecturer uh, on the construction management program, uh, but I do teach some of the, on a couple of other programs. So I uh, teach on the agency and civil engineering. I also teach the contract uh, administration and specifications to the architectural technologists as well. Uh, but the course leader went off on maternity leave uh, and uh, I was fortunate enough to be uh, given the opportunity to uh, run the course for a year whilst uh, Denise is uh, is spending quite important time with her with her family. So, yes, that's been quite good. Uh, so it's kept, kept me busy, though 
that the irony wasn't lost on me that I was really looking forward to doing more face-to-face teaching March last year. Bugger. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I was going to say. Bugger. (laughs) You go for an offering. In person, first. But the the good thing is that... uh, because of my experience of distance learning with UCM, I've been able, I've been able to help uh, support the, the members of the team uh, and understand get, and, help, and help them develop them their their understanding of online delivery before uh, b- beforehand. So yeah, so uh, it did. So it's quite it's quite good. So yeah, it's, it's I I am looking forward to September and getting back onto campus so, and and seeing uh, and seeing my students. Randomly enough, the first time I saw one of my fir- my first year students was about a month ago. I was out for dinner with my wife, and one of the waitresses come out, came over and she started telling me off. So I'm really disappointed in you. you haven't recognised me. I'm like, who are you? And then she pulled down a mask. I was like, oh, hi, Annette. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and she's she's like one of the, the absolute. Uh, uh, Annette is an, an absolute superstar. She's one of the best students. Uh, so I was a bit like, oh, embarrassed. <laughs> <Don't recognize. laughs> but she did have a mask on. It is I was hard. concentrating on speaking more. Like, <laughs> and then also, come September, you're going full circle. Yes, so you started. Yes, so uh, yeah, so I am off. Uh, so I'm glad we're not off. Uh, I'm starting my PhD uh, and I'm looking at reed farming. Uh, was initially trying to focus on thatch, but it's not quite a big enough market. So uh, looking at it more holistically and what we can do, because it does have quite a lot of, uh, of uses. And then if we can tie in with like the RSPB uh, and uh, the other local, uh, you have like reed cutter associations. I know people seem to think thatching is a dying trade. It's not, numbers are relatively steady. The, the, reed cutting associations they are they're very very thin on the ground now and if we can start looking at ways of increasing uk reed consumption it is going to save a trade Mm -hmm. uh, because otherwise they're just going to to disappear because just the demand won't really be there uh to uh or they won't be able to replace the people who are retiring so i think yeah it's uh I know you look at like employment rates around coastal areas, it has been highlighted in numerous studies that it's not particularly great. And if there's more job opportunities for for people as well, which is a sustainable job opportunity, which isn't just necessarily reliant on on tourism and hospitality, well, that's really good. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So your career has been so varied, although it has kind of followed a pattern there's been reasons why you've kind of taken the next step so anybody listening who's considering going into a property career at what point do you make that transition to teaching if that would be something that you wanted to do uh i would always say when you've got some experience behind you uh because i think uh practical experience is so you can you've, you've gone through uh You've gone through it. You know the, the challenges. You know the pitfalls where you can uh, potentially put your foot in it. Uh, and I think as well, it does give you quite a bit of credibility with the, the students. Uh, so if you can talk through different uh, 
different projects you've worked on and you can, you can say right okay well this, this is what happened pose a scenario to them uh what would you do and then you can talk through things and you know you can reflect on what you've done you, know, you can because nobody's ever too old not to learn so you can you can reflect on it as well and think well did i take the right approach back then so yeah i would probably say when you bit of practical experience is really really key and it's not uh i'm it's not an easy thing to do to hop into education it's not something all you know you, you've got to do it for the right reasons uh it's not uh it's not you know uh, i can't be bothered getting up at like traipsing across there for, for a couple of hours to uh, to a site and i'm spending all day on site i can't be bothered with that anymore you you, you have to be committed because you want to support your students and that's the main thing the students the students should be at the heart of everything what you do mm-hmm. uh, so it's not like something you can just enter half-heartedly agreed and for those listening who have heard that you've managed to progress with your um academics throughout your career and if someone's thinking oh well I only did an undergrad or I didn't even do an undergrad but I'm already a property professional what options are available to them so it depends on really what you want to do I the different uh, the different professional bodies do some a range of qualifications the CIOB certainly have got quite a good range of, uh, of qualifications which do tie in with their own uh, professional body memberships uh but take advantage of what's what's on offer uh, and i think really believe in yourself is uh, just don't let what happened 10 or 15 years ago define you mm-hmm. uh you, you you make your own part uh, about when it comes to that so yeah so let's look at what's available qualification wise and you never know where it can lead you so I know I left school with two B's and three C's at GCSE and was like uh, and now I'm going to be starting a PhD uh, in October so that, that back then somebody would said no chance it's not gonna happen Dodson <laughs> no, I think I, I think one of my teachers if I told them I was doing a PhD now they'd have been like no <laughs> no chance so yeah, look at the different options. I I would always say I I I am a firm believer in apprenticeships as well. I think if you are looking at making a transition, uh, getting involved in an apprenticeship is a really really good way of, of doing things because I think all that, particularly when you're older, taking a step away from paid employment to go back into education, it's a big worry. Uh, about how you're going to support yourself, how you're going to support your family. And if you can get yourself an apprenticeship where, you know, you're studying, you're, you're earning at the same time, and then you're going to end up with, uh, depending on what apprenticeship you do, uh, with a professional designation at the end of it, I think it's a really, really good way of, uh, of improving things. And I've had, a, I've had apprentices, everybody from 16 years old, literally straight out of school, uh, all the way up to 62, 63. Wow. So, and they're in the same class. Okay, so it's quite a diverse range. So, uh, yeah, it does really good 
give you an idea that don't think that an apprenticeship is just for school leavers. If you want to, to go into a different, if you want to do something different, it's a really good way of, uh, of getting it. Final question. For someone who wants to go through um, a varied career within the property industry, how would you suggest that they progress? What would their next step be? If they want to try something else outside of their comfort zone but want to stay in property, what would you suggest that they do? Uh, I think really having a good network of people is key. Uh, and then if you do have the opportunity to spend time with them, I think really gaining like a full idea about what you potentially want to go off and do is quite important, really. Uh, but yeah, if you can get on, like what I did with Insert, that was really helpful because I had some time doing hard FM, I had some time doing some soft FM as well. So it kind of gave me a feel for, yeah, I, I'm not, uh, uh, yeah, hard, like more construction based things, probably what I'm interested in. Uh, but yeah, get, getting out and, you know, trying to dip your toe in the water and yeah, utilizing your contacts to, you know, spend some time with them if you can. If you can. Uh, yeah, I may, I'm certainly uh, being part of a professional body, getting out there attending CPD events when we were allowed to, obviously, COVID, uh, uh, networking, getting, put, putting yourself forward uh, for different things and getting involved. So uh, I know I, I sit on the, the CIOB uh, committee for the Southampton Hub as well, so I get to meet different people doing that as well. So, you know, it just opens up opportunities, really. Don't, don't be shy in putting yourself forward and getting to know people. Mm -hmm. awesome Andy thank you so much for coming on the podcast today I've really enjoyed it I hope my audience have really enjoyed it too if you have please make sure to rate and review so that more people can find this podcast too thank you again it's been an no problem it's been brilliant to having a chat with you thank you and for those of you who are listening I cannot wait to catch up with you again soon thanks everybody bye